from the theme, the Beatitudes for Righteous Living. The Beatitudes for Righteous Living. Our text this morning, Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses. Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses. And I'm going to take these in a teaching setting this morning more so. Um, Ushers, you may be seated. This morning, we want to look at the Beatitudes for righteous living. Let us pray. Father, we bless you. We praise you this morning. We thank you for this hour. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for these that have come to worship, to praise, to edify, magnify, glorify, and most of all, to receive your word. And we bless you now. We ask you to come to the presence of the Holy Spirit and teach us, guide us, give us wisdom and knowledge to apply these principles to our lives as we go from day to day. We thank you, we bless you, and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In verse number one, we find in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean? What does it mean to be blessed? To be blessed is to have special favor, mercy, benefit, or blessings of liberty from God above. It is to have and to be bestowed upon us happiness and joy that is invoked by God, our Elohim. The favor of God is the result of the Beatitudes. In life, we have many different types of attitudes about every kind of thing. But whatever we go through and experience in life, we must be aware of what's going on around us and how it affects us as children of God. Because what affects us determines our responses and our behavior. The attitude sometimes is reflected by the event. So many things can happen in our lives and we can have many experiences. However, it's not what happened to us. It is how we respond to it that makes all of the difference as to our attitude and our behavior. So 10% of what happens affects us. But 90% of that is our response or our attitude and behaviors as a result of whatever we might experience. The word attitude is uh, derived from the Latin word beatus. It is uh, means being blessed or favored by God. The attitudes emphasize that God's blessings are being bestowed upon all believers. God allowed the rain to fall on the just as well as the unjust. So blessings come to all of us at certain times within our lives. Martin Luther King said, uh, let us not seek to sanctify or satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from a cup of bitterness and hatred, quote, unquote. So he even, Martin Luther King in his death, is still being remembered for the things that he told and taught us along the way. Yes, yes. 
The word of God tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? People who have been taken into exile, having their lands, their possessions ripped away from them, those afflicted and oppressed, powerless, without any hope of future events or life. Those that have become destitute in their mind and in their spirit are poor in spirit. Those that are intensified by the poverty that life sometimes presents to them. Those that are delivered into bondage for reasons beyond their own control. And those who are ridiculed are those who have issues with being poor in spirit. But, 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 the, but the Bible says they are blessed, favored by God. He goes on and he tells us, he says, they have power and they receive the benefit of their poorness because they are in a spirit of humility to receive even more from God. The Bible tells us and shares with us, he says, blessed are they that mourn. The mourners are those who have suffered tragedies or have suffered different types of disasters or come upon certain tribulations in their lives. It causes discomfort and it causes spirits of mourning and grief when we think about COVID and over 200,000 people have died and Thousands are being uh, uh, affected by this virus in our nation even right now. And many families are suffering the grief and the loss of life and walking around in sorrow because loved ones have passed away because of the tragedy of COVID-19. There are people in mourning who've lost loved ones for other reasons. But Isaiah said in the word, Christ would bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim to our own mourners that they shall be comforted and that they shall wear crowns of life by the fact that they're suffering and going through. Isaiah said in 40 verse number 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith God. Christ is going to comfort those who mourn. Those who mourned, do it with a desire and a feeling of hope for their future. He tells them, you will overcome. He goes on, he said, bless all the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. David tells us in Psalms 37 verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Those who have special gentleness and self-control are the meek. Those who flee and stay far from malice and, and condescending of spirits of ungodliness. They are the humble, the ones who put their faith and trust in God are the meek. Numbers tells us in 12 and verse number 3, Now the man Moses was very meek. Above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Meekness will allow you to experience the blessings of God. How do we get there? What happens? We don't use 
the things that the world uses. For the world's idea is to exploit you or to oppress you or to keep you down or to keep you looking at other people. Some people want to have authority and seize power over you. We have that situation going on in this country right now with a president that refuses to concede the race. He wants to usurp power and authority and control, be a dictator. But that's not what God's plan is for America. His plan is for us to unite and become one nation with freedom, respect for all mankind. That's what the word of God teaches us. He said, live by the spirit, walk by the spirit, and you won't do the things of the flesh. How does one become meek? Meekness and gentleness is a part of the fruit of the spirit in the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. And verse 23 tells us these words, meekness and temperance. There is no law against those behaviors. So when you have meekness and temperance, God is going to bless you. He'll keep you meek. Don't get the big head. But stay meek and humble before God. Meekness is a product in the life of the believer. And it comes through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those who walk by faith of God and trust him walk in secure meekness before our Father. Word of God tells us, he goes on, he says, he said, blessed. Are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness? See, the, the, the soul of man, the spirit of man, the mind of man has to look for some things, has to search out some things. In uh, Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh, it says. Longest for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He says, I thirst, I hunger, I seek after, I search for thee. For thou art the God of my what? Salvation. Thou art the eternal one, the holy one, the awesome and loving divine one. And all of my hope and all of my trust is in thee, the word of God tells us and shares with us. He said, the word of God tells us to thirst and hunger after righteousness. It must be a constant cry out for satisfaction. Those that seek the fullness of God are those who seek to do the will of God. They are the ones who walk in righteousness. They hunger day and night for the things of God. It is a passion within them to walk in the righteousness and the purity of God's word. The saints of God should be thriving for the hunger and the thirst of God's word. The more you read it, the more you fellowship it, the more you spend time in the word, the more that desire becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and more forceful in your life. And you want to do whatever it takes to please the living God, to please the Savior and to live a righteous life before him. They do righteous works. And they live a righteous and a holy life. Then it says the way to hunger and thirst for righteousness is developed by your spiritual walk. The way you yield yourself to God and allow his power and his presence to fill your life 
and use you for his glory. That's when it gets back to working in the different auxiliaries and doing things in the house of God and doing things outside of the house of God that bring what? Glory and praise unto his name. That's what we are all here for, to give him praise, to give him glory. But most of all, to go out and tell a dying lost world that God is real and that he's holy and he's pure and he's seeking you. And he wants you to turn your life, what? Back to him. That's what the word of God tells us and shares with us. Your work is founded upon a righteous life. Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they will what? Have mercy. So in order to have mercy, you have to be merciful. And the word tells us and shares with us, it is imperative that we be merciful. Because we all have been somewhere in our lives where we didn't want to be. But somebody showed us mercy. Stories told of this. Of this young, of this old man, he's in the scripture, and, and, and he, he gets himself in a situation with all of these debts that he owes to the king. And the king comes and he says, listen, he says, I want everybody that owed me to come to me and bring me what they owe me. And this, this, this man, he had owed millions of dollars to this king. And the king says, I'm going to have you arrested and put in prison. Unless you can pay me. He falls down on his knees and he begs the king to be patient with him and, 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 and have mercy on him. And he will give him everything that he owns. Yes. King thought about it for a few minutes and he said, you know what? I'm just going to forgive the debt. He releases him and let him go. He goes down the street a couple of blocks, sees a young, another person that owes him just a few dollars, grips him by the throat, harms him, beats him up. And throw him in jail and says, stay there till you can pay me the few dollars that you owe me. Everybody finds out about it and runs back to the king and tells the king, King, this man that you forgave millions of dollars now are running around, have beat up another man that owed him just a few dollars and throwed him in jail. The king was angry. He sent for him, had him arrested him and his family and thrown in jail till he could pay the debt. Your behavior, your actions, yeah. being merciful is so imperative. Yeah. You see, you find fault with everybody. We can't find fault with everybody. We got to realize we're all a subject to things that we've experienced in life that people have been merciful to us about. He tells us and shares with us a little bit more. He said, the meek or the merciful are those who will show mercy to the fellow citizens. Yes, when you show mercy, he says, you are blessed. You have my favor. You have my blessings on your life because you're what? Merciful. You don't go run around mistreating and being mischievous and doing things that are ungodly to those who haven't had or cannot do the things that you require or want them to do. Amen. He tells us. Amen. Then he says, blessed are the pure in heart. For they have a special appointment and they shall what? See God. Your heart must be pure. Not full of envy. Not full of rage. See, impurities come from the mind. 
It is in the mind where things begin to develop. The more you think about a thing, the more it can bother you if it's something negative. If it's something not positive, it can bother you and aggravate you. The late Vincent, Norman Vincent Peale said, there is a power in positive thinking, positive imaging, positive ideas, things that will bless you and move you forward in the things of God. Reverend Peale said, the power of positive thinking begins when you focus your attention on your relationship with God. And as you focus on God, guess what he does? He allows you by reading the scripture for the word of God says, one, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Meditate upon that and contemplate upon that and think upon that. I can do it because he said I can. What are the benefits of having a pure heart? He says your behavior is that of a righteous person. You're not contentious. You're not out to get someone. But your focus is on the things that are good. Your heart is seeking God and that power and presence of God within you allow you to go forth and do things that bring glory and praise to God, the kingdom, and to your fellow man all around you. He said, I want you to develop and grow in the things of God and keep your heart clean. You remember, the body is the temple of God. So if you defile the body, guess what you're doing? You're defiling God's temple. And you say, I don't feel the presence of God within me. Why? You have defiled the temple. He said, and the Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to live in an unclean temple. So that's why we go before him daily and say, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, where shall I go? And we ask him to forgive us for the things that are ungodly and unholy. Because we do things of commission, things of omission, and some things we just do deliberately. And we know that we need his presence and his power, and, and he needs to give us cleansing day and night and help us to overcome those things that are unclean and unrighteous within our lives. He said, blessed, blessed are those who walk about purity, clean hearts, not corrupt and defiled, but pure and clean, living in righteous, pure and clean life before him. Matthew tells us in the 15th chapter, verse number 18 and 19, he says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth cometh forth from the what? Heart. The mind is the seat of the heart. And they what? Defile man. Then he tells us what those things are. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies, all the things that we're all guilty of. We're all guilty of all of these things. At some point in some place in our life. Well, I haven't killed anybody, Bishop. But you did with your mouth. You spoke death with your mouth. The same as murder. What he said, if you're thinking in your heart, you might as well what? Do it. Because you're guilty of sin if you think it. You know, I had a professor when I was in college. His wife made him mad one day. And I went to school to, to class, to seminary class that night. And we was in homiletics. And we were sitting there. And I said, I said, Professor Saunders, you look like you got something on your mind. 
And he said, I've been sitting around all day thinking about how I can kill my wife and get away with it. What a, what a thought coming out of the professor that's teaching you homiletics. And we all sat around and laughed and joked about it. And I said, Professor Saunders, you know your wife is not that bad. And he finally concluded, you know, Spate, you're right. I need to repent, don't I? I said, yeah, you need to repent. Well, that thought become a reality. You don't want nothing you're thinking bad to become a reality. You want to just do it. You clear that up. Say, Father, purify my mind. Yes. How do we purify our mind? Yes. The word of God is how we purify our mind. The more you read the word, what does it do? The words I speak unto you, they are spirit. Matthew, uh, John 6, 63. And they are what? Life. Yes. It's the word that gives you life. And the more words you put in your spirit, the more the life becomes available. You say, well, I can't read but one verse a day. Read that one verse a day and meditate on it. Think about it. Read it over and over and over again. Make it a part of your life. See, I'm not up here preaching so I can be telling you stuff. I'm up here preaching so we can all live these things and go forth and tell the dying world that this thing is real. We serve a real God. Our Savior is real. He's not a phony. He's not a painting on a canvas. He's, a, he's sincere. He's real in our heart. It's what the scripture teaches us and tells us. Then he goes on and he said, you must receive the blessings of God. God has promised that they will see him, those who walk around with a pure heart. Not only will they see him, it says they can see clearly because their redeemer lives within their heart. My redeemer lives inside of me. Nothing and nobody can do nothing to me no matter what you try. I've been through a lot. People have fed me poison in their food. Done mischievous things, lied, cheated, and all kind of things. But yet, I still stand. Some of them in the ground pushing daisies. You know what I say, Father? Whatever they send my way, send it back to them. And then let me live to look down in their face. God will protect you. He will watch over you. When God anoints your life for his purpose... Nobody can do nothing to hurt or harm you no matter how they try. You tell all those devils and demons, get back, Satan. I rebuke you. Because God says, what? Christ said, I rebuke you, Satan. The things of God are more important than worshiping and bowing down to you. So when I worship and, and praise him, the last thing on my mind is what I'm going to get from a kingdom in the earth. Well, I have a royal kingdom streets paved with gold. I have a mansion in the sky. I have liberty and eternal life in a city where the light of the city is Christ my Savior. Why in the world would I bow to Satan in the earth? He says, what? They will see God. Keep your heart pure. Walk in the ways of righteousness and of God. If you make a mistake, ask for forgiveness. That's what he tells us. Bless all the merciful. Bless all the pure in heart. Bless all the peacemakers. Peacemakers, a person who helps others, who deal with conflict, who reach out with the power and with ideas for peaceful resolutions and solutions 
to the things that they are going through or what they are experiencing. Peacemakers are those that come in and create harmony and break the fighting and restore order in the things of God. See, they're fighting in the church, but God sends the peacemaker in and says, look, enough is enough. And he disrupts the disorder in his house and demands those responsible to get up. That my house shall be called what? The house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Get out of my house. See, when God steps in, no matter what you try, you're, you're going to lose. You're going to fail. When God says, I've had enough of you, he'll move you out of the way. That's why it's important that you always strive to be a peacemaker. When we had the things that were going on in this church, and I, I was getting calls from every direction. People would worry about the church. They weren't worried about no preacher. I'm just a vessel. My job is to serve. And when I get beyond what God has called me to do, it's time for me to step away and let somebody else take over. Because it's not about the health of the preacher. It's about the health of the church. It's about the development and the growth of the spiritual body of Christ. And when I forget what my role is, what my position is, God says, get out of the way. Remember Moses? God told Moses when Israel was in, in the wilderness and they were complaining, we needed water, we need water. God said, go and speak to that rock. Yeah. Moses went over there and took his staff and struck it. Yes. And God said, because you did that, you will not go into the promised land. And he buried him on top of the mountain. And to this day, nobody knows where Moses was buried. But God buried him. He said, I'm not letting you go in there because you disobeyed my order. When you get in the way, God know how to move you. People get angry. You angry? You ain't angry with the with God with the with the, with the person. You angry with God? God moves somebody out of the way. You angry with God whenever you stay away. And you walk around with that art in your heart, but you angry with God. You're not angry with the preacher. You ain't mad at me because I pray for you, Father. Help them. They know not what they do. That's what Christ said. They murdered him on the cross. He said, they know not what they do. Forgive them. When Christ came to, 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 to redeem Israel, and the Jews got angry with him and had him put to death. He was coming for them. Coming, coming to say, you're you going to kill your Savior. How about that? Or crucify him, straighten him up and hang him on the cross. Because you don't think he ought to do it. That's not what God put us in the earth for. He said, for you to go forth, bear fruit. He said, I have chosen you that you may go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit may remain. That whatsoever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. St. John 15 and 16. That was the sermon. That was the initial verse I used when I did my first sermon in 1989, June 11th in St. John Baptist Church in Lake City, South Carolina. That was the first sermon, a chosen vessel. I was over 30 years ago. I still remember to this day like it was yesterday. When God chooses you and puts you in a place, he does it for a reason. Because he sees my people are dying on the vine. They're not getting my word. And when people are not getting the word of God, God gets concerned. See, you don't serve a savior that's not concerned about your soul. And when he moves somebody out of the way, he do it because he's what? 
concerned about your soul. Yes. Your soul is more important than God than anything anybody can do for you. And when you get angry with God and say, God, that's not right. Our that thought shouldn't have happened that way. Who are you? You're not God. Where were you when God set the moon in the sky? Where were you when he called the sun into existence? Where were you when he flung the stars in the heavens and they set right there? Where were you? And who are you to instruct God? Bow down to him and worship. That's the only place you have before God. That's all of us. We must bow down and worship him. Give him glory and praise for what he's doing. Let's wrap this up. He tells us, he said, bless all the peacemakers. For they are important to the kingdom of God. He said the peacemakers will be called the sons or the children of God. Those who deal and overcome adversities and conflicts. Those who walk in righteousness and stand firm on the things that God tells them to do. Those who may be going through things in the earth like imprisonment, persecutions, executions that cost them their very life. Remember Hitler? He killed six million Jews because of their faith. But even before that, if you go back about 5,000 years, millions and millions and millions of Hebrews were killed and destroyed in ships and boats coming to this country. Because of their faith, because they wanted to live their freedom and enjoy their lives in their nation, but because of oppression and because of people rising up and trying to overthrow them and destroy them and split the nation and, is, and saying that Israel will not be a nation anymore. Goes and get imposters and takes them to Jerusalem and Israel and put them in there and say, these are the chosen people of God. And the real chosen people of God are in nations all around the world. God says, I'm going to send you into every nation around the world. And when the time is right, I'm going to call you forth. And the world will know that you are my chosen vessel. You are a peculiar people. You are priests and priestesses. You are somebody. Rise up and be who I've chosen and called you to be. He tells us. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Now notice the operative part of that. Falsely. See, if you're guilty, then it's not falsely. You got a president running around here that's guilty and he hollering somebody's done something falsely that hasn't happened. That's not true. God says, blessed are ye when men revile. What does it mean to revile? It means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. It means to scorn somebody, to ridicule them and call them out of their names. That's what it means to revile somebody. And he said, don't be guilty of reviling people. Live your life according to the will, the word, and the purpose of Almighty God. And when you do that, he says, you will be blessed. He said they're persecuted, 
for you will be blessed. When they persecute you, when they lie on you, when they do things to harm you, what does he say? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is what your reward in heaven. You're looking for it down here. But God says the reward is where? In heaven. In the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom? It's inside of you. The God's kingdom. He said, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. I place the kingdom inside of you. The kingdom is nigh even in thy mouth. Go into the kingdom. Go into the inner spirit and say, Father, I what? Stretch my hands to thee. <laughs> I'm being ridiculed. I'm being persecuted. I'm being lied on and cheated and stolen from. But you said you would what? Deliver me. David said, I sought the Lord and he heard my cry and delivered me from all of my fears, my anxieties, my worries, and my troubles. He delivered me. Is what David said. The word of God says, he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they, the people or the prophets that were before you. You're not going through nothing anybody else been through. You're not experiencing anything anybody else ain't been through. The Romans tells us in 15 and 13 these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. If you're persecuted, seek the power and the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, what does he do? He bless you. You're blessed. Somebody say, I'm blessed. blessed. Look at your name and say, I'm blessed. blessed. Say it like you mean it, I'm blessed. I'm truly blessed. The word says I'm blessed. He says rejoice. Isaiah tells us in 65 and 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a glad and in gladness at all times. He said you should be happy. You should be rejoicing. You should know that the beatitudes and the blessings of God is flowing all around you. We went through four years of hell with a president that don't care about nothing but himself. God moved him out of our way. And people were in the streets rejoicing and dancing and, and praising. And he's somewhere hiding and accusing and ridiculing. But God said, I had enough of you. You say you're the chosen one. I'm going to show you that you're not. I'm going to move you out of the way. And we should be rejoicing. We should be happy and glad and giving him praise. John tells us in the uh, third chapter, in the 36th verse, whosoever believes on the Son has eternal life. Whosoever does not believe or obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. When you see people doing all kind of wicked stuff, you know they ain't no child of God. People think their money going to save them. Going to deliver them. Listen, I've done a lot of funerals since I've been in the ministry. I still have yet to see a moving van or money truck behind any of those hearses. You ain't going to take nothing from this earth. Because the body that you're in ain't even yours. It goes back to the dirt. And your spirit goes to the judgment. So it's time to get it right now. 
before you leave this earth. Because it's going to be too late when you go. It's going to be too late. Luke tells us in 15 and 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than for 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's what the word tells us. That's what he teaches us. There will be joy. There will be deliverance. Every time I reach and can grab something, I, I have to say, my hospitality member, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor Zay, I thank you. Because I can reach and grab something. I used to be running for it, but I can reach and grab it now. Closing this, he tells us, Psalms 128 tells us, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor and the blessings and prosperity of God will be yours. The blessings of God are yours. Because you what? You are rooted and grounded in the things of God and you live your life according to his will and his purpose on a daily matter, on a daily basis. For whatever he desires in your heart and in your life, you are there to what? Make sure that his power, his presence is manifesting in your life. He said, you are the blessed. The righteous are the blessed. Those that seek him are the blessed. Those that desire him are the blessed. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. For they are the seed, the chosen, and the blessed of the Most High. May God bless you today. May heaven smile upon you. Let us stand for a word of prayer. Father, we bless you for this message. We bless you for this word. We bless you for this opportunity to share this message on the Beatitudes, on the blessings that only you can give unto us. We pray that this message will accomplish that for which thou hast sent it. And please the mind and the heart of the Most High, our eternal Savior. We bless you this morning. We praise you for this message. And we ask that it will minister to our hearts days, weeks, and months to come. Let us apply these principles to our lives and live them out that you would be glorified by what we are doing. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this ministry. We praise you. Now we pray for that sinner man, that sinner woman that may not know you in the free part, in the free part of their sins. And we pray for their soul salvation that they would confess that you are Lord to the glory of God, our Savior, our Messiah, our righteous anointed Lord, and that they would call you and ask you to come into their hearts and be Lord of their lives. We bless you. We thank you for our harvest. We decree and declare a harvest in this place. We decree and declare all souls and we speak them forth and call them into existence. These things we ask, we decree and we declare. We pray a blessing over this house and ask you to continue to bless, protect and watch over your people is our servant's prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Blessed Holy Spirit, in Christ our Savior's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Our message this morning coming from the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 3 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, from the theme, qualified by God to be a spiritual leader. Qualified by God to be a spiritual leader. In the third chapter, Paul writes to...
to Timothy and give him instructions for qualifications. You can also find this in the book of Titus. But he gives him instructions and what he needs to know and what needs to happen to qualify people in the church for spiritual leadership. Verse 1 says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of an elder, he desires a good work. An elder then must be blameless, the man of one wife, diligent, sober, and of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine nor striker, not greedy of filthy lure, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the called out assembly or the house of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into a reproach and snares of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of fifty lure, holding the mystery of the belief in a pure conscience. And let these first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. He said, let even so must the, they have one wife not a slanderer, sober, and faithful in all things. And let the deacons be the men of one wife, ruling their own children and their own house well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the belief which is in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. We bless you this morning, our Father. Elohim for this hour, for this morning, for this message. We pray now that you just minister to our hearts. We invite you through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom, give us knowledge. Bring back to our heart and our mind those things that will build your kingdom of righteousness. Help us as leaders to walk according unto your will and your way and your word. And use it for the glory of God. Go out and tell other men and women, boys and girls, that you are Lord to the glory of God. And that we must follow in your footsteps for eternal promise of salvation. These blessings we ask now, decree and declare by faith. In your most holy name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. A leader is one who influences and serves others out of the interests in their lives. So that they may accomplish God's purpose. For being on this planet. Christ himself called 12 men apostles. He trained and ordained them, qualified them, and sent them forth to carry the gospel into the world. There are certain principles that qualify a leader, a person seeking to be a leader. The number one qualifications is love. The love of God must fill their heart and be released from their heart to others who they serve. A leader is one who serves. Number two, 
Uh, they must be modest or humble. They can't be boastful, proud, or arrogant. But they must have a humble heart, a humble spirit, in order to be an effective spiritual leader. They must have self-development. Self-development includes developing yourself and building yourself and being trained by those already in leadership so that when you step out, you're already ready to go forth in the calling on which God has placed upon your life to lead and govern over his people. You see, Christ models leadership himself even in the sorrow, the pain, and the suffering that he endured when he had to go to the cross, even in death, he exercised self-control over himself and self-development because he made it a thing that he was not going to say one thing, but he was going to be quiet. The Bible said he never said a mumbling word when he went to the cross. A leader must be a motivator, one who motivates the people of God, encourage and inspire them to go forth and know that all is well and everything is going to be all right. No matter what it looks like, no matter how it appears, keep the faith and ask God to give you that perfect peace that passes all understanding within your heart and within your spirit. Nehemiah tells us in the second chapter, in the 17th verse, he says, a leader is a fearless motivator uh, of the people. He helps to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When the walls were torn down, Nehemiah reminded people that it's easy and it can be done. He outlined a vision. He shared a plan and he reassured the people of God that this will happen. He encouraged them to keep their faith and trust in him and Jerusalem and the walls were indeed rebuilt. A leader, one that, that, that is open to correction. And he's one that makes corrections to the people of God. One who corrects in the right way, not in any way, but in the right way according to the will and the purpose of God. Uh, it is important that leaders grow in their development and in the power by the message and the word of God through the gospel and the scriptures of our Lord and Savior. They must be patient. They must have the spiritual correctness first for themselves and then for those around them and those who follow. Leaders are looked up to and highly respected. So they must have certain things in their lives that will bring them to the place of that respect by others. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 13, he said, but avoid foolish and arrogant disputes. He's talking to leaders, knowing that they gender strife and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. He's a man that walks in a spirit of humility, but he looks and offers correctness to those that are in need of it when the time is right. So the elders of the church, their job is basically to make corrections when they see things out of order it's their job to step up and make corrections it's their job to step up and encourage right living and righteous living that's what the word tells us a leader spiritual leader must have integrity must be a man of sound integrity he has must have moral principles and be honest about what's going on he must be a follower of god 
And he must live a righteous life. That is what God requires. Integrity includes his mannerisms, his behavior, and his distinctive traits that allow him to go forth and shine. For God said, my glory will what? Shine and come forth through you. It's like a flower. You can see the beauty of the outside of the plant. You can see all of the yellows and whites and blues and greens and reds. And you can see all of the beauty, but all that is the glory of that plant. After it, it's budding. It comes forth and then you can see the beauty. And God is saying to leaders, he must see the beauty in our lives so that others can see the beauty in our lives. And then he allowed that to manifest and flow and flourish so those around us will know who we are. Character. He must be a person of character. The character is the trait that, 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 that formates individuals. It formulates them. It shows their moral ethics and the quality of person that they really are. What type of character do we display when we're not in the house of God? I've been told of individuals who display one character in the sanctuary and in the church on Sunday, and they're a totally different person outside of the church. But God says we must have character, true decorum. We must walk humbly and securely in our relationship with God and among our brothers and sisters. The word of God tells us what qualifies a person to be a leader. John Maxwell said a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way, quote, unquote. Scripture tells us and shares with us that their qualifications must be followed. These qualifications must be adhered to and put into practice. Leadership is not about a position, but it is about action and doing what God has told and called and chosen our lives for. We are created with a purpose. And so since we are created with a purpose, we must know that purpose. So God sent others before us that have already walked similar paths and they know how to encourage, inspire, uplift, teach and train us so that we too will walk in the bent that we have been created and molded and purposed to carry out. Is what his word teaches us and tells us. Let's start here with the bishop. Oh, so you got to start with start, charity starts at home and spreads abroad. <laughs> the Bible tells us and shares with us, he says, the bishop, you desire a good work. Ministry is a good work. Don't ever forget that. If you desire the office of a bishop or an elder, and a bishop is an overseer. That's the, the Greek word. It means to oversee, oversight over the church of God or over the churches of God. I have eight ministers that are licensed and ordained, and seven of them, seven of them have their own churches. So the bishop's job is sometimes to go out and see what's going on in the fellowship. That's what Paul did. He established churches, and then he went out and he visited those churches. But, but what are the qualifications? Because I heard somebody say one time, well, you need to be married. Well, I say, well, that's going to disqualify Jesus right there. And Paul. Neither of which. When Paul lost his first wife, he never remarried. Christ never married. So when people come to me with that, I'll say, well, go show me Christ's wife and come back and let's talk about it. Nobody ain't been back yet. And the reason is because 
You can live a righteous life without getting into a lot of trouble. You have to have the Holy Spirit to guide you and to keep you and to protect you and watch over you and keep you out of the snares and the traps of the devil. But you can live a righteous and holy life. None of us are perfect. He says the righteous man, what did David say, falls seven times, but he what? Get back up. He don't lay in the mud. Let's look at the office here. He said the bishop must be blameless. A man of one wife, if he chooses to marry, he should have one wife. This is the scripture. Verse number two. He must be vigilant. What is vigilance? It is he has to have and show care for the work of ministry. He must be sober and of good behavior. What is sober? It's not being sober from drinking liquor. But he must have common sense and know how to care about the things of God and for the people of God. That's what he talks about when he says be sober. And he says of good behavior, don't be raging and keeping stuff up. You know, walk in your calling and do the things that God has ordained and orchestrated you to do. He goes on and he says, not only that, he says he is a teacher of the principles of God. He's not given to wine. In other words, he don't overindulge. He's not a striker, a violent person. You can't be violent and say, I'm a child of God. You can't be holy one day and then going off and calling people names and talking them down the next day and being violent and coming up against the people of God who God has orchestrated you. The pastor is a shepherd. The bishop is an overseer. The elder's job is to make sure that you're taught and trained in ministry. That's the calling of the offices. The Bible tells us in church with us, I'm glad the Holy Spirit reminded me of those because I looked at them recently and I couldn't remember them. <laughs> but, but God will bring back to our remembrance those things that we have studied. The word of God tells us in church with us, he says, he is not greedy of filthy lure. It's not about money with him. It's about serving the people of God and seeing to the things of God and making sure that the house of God and the kingdom of God is in good hands. You got wolves running in God's house trying to overshadow and overpower congregations and take over the church. And God says, I didn't send wolves, I sent shepherds to watch over my sheep and to make sure that they're being fed and taken care of. Let's go a little bit further with this. He says, uh, he is one of patience, not a brawler. A brawler is somebody who always want to fight and keep stuff stirred up. He's not covetous, always wanting what other people have. And it says, and he's one that rules his own house well and have his own children in subjection with all gravity. That means that they are very serious about their family. They are very serious about the behavior of their children and the house of God. That's what gravity is all about. Be serious. Don't be running around acting like a child. What did the, the scripture say this morning? When I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I what? Put away childish things. God says leaders are not childish. It's good to have fun and enjoy yourself. But also remember, you have to be serious when the time is right. Uh, the scripture said what? There's a time for everything. And even a time to be serious about the matters and the business of God and his church. Scripture goes on and tells us this person is one who knows exactly what he needs to be doing. He's one who knows how to carry out the office of God. The, the, the ESV translation says he's not a drunkard. 
not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He should be patient, not a brawler, not covetous, rule his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity or control. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? If you can't do what you need to do and take care of yourself and your business, how are you going to take care of God's business? God didn't call ministers. He said, the minister, the preacher, the pastor, the bishop, the overseer, and their families ought to be good examples of what the body of Christ and the fellowship of God should look like. They are followers of the gospel and they serve the same Savior that they teach and preach about. Christ himself said, in John 15 and 16, now I think I mentioned this last Sunday, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So you're not without doubt, without, with the thing, without the things that you need. God says, ask me and I'll give it to you. So that's why you should be about the business of the kingdom, the business of the work of God. Pastors, teachers, elders, overseers, we must be about God's business. People are hurting, they're suffering, they're going through. And we're busy with football and all other kind of crazy things that don't have anything to do with the hurting hearts and minds of people who are suffering and going through things that they need relief and deliverance from. Look at uh, the rest of that verse. Verse number six says, he's not a novice, a new convert. That's what a novice is. You can't put a new convert in a position of authority when he's not been properly trained to do it. A deacon, a pastor, no leader. He has to be trained. You have to go through what you go through the training so that when you get to the position, you've already gone through the levels of steps needed to be there. I started in the church at the back door ushering, sang on the choir, went into Sunday school class, then taught the Sunday school class, then became uh, the superintendent of the youth Sunday school department, then went to playing the organ and played with the choirs, and after I did that, I went into ministry. So you got to work your way up through the ranks, and you've got to be properly trained. Went to seminary, sat under the pastor for several years. Learn the word of God, apply the word of God, live the word of God, and then go out and what? Preach it and teach it. That's what he's saying. You can't be a new convert talking about God called you to be a bishop. That's a lie. Or a pastor. You don't even have any training. You don't even know what the office is all about. But he says, you can't be a novice, a, a, a convert, a new convert, unless you be lifted up with pride and fall into condemnation of the devil because pride will take you over if you're not ready when you go into positions of leadership. That's why whenever you get that promotion on the job, you, people look up to you, but you still got to be humble. You still got to keep decorum. Don't get the big head or become arrogant. You've got to be a person of humility and walk in your calling. He said, well, he said walk worthy of the vocation where with you are called. If somebody advances you in the workplace, then you need to walk worthy because they have seen something inside of you that have allowed them to say, look, I have a better position and I think you qualify for it. 
If you don't qualify for it, you have the character that we need in that position. We're going to send you and be, let you be trained. See, that's how companies work. That's how they do in the church. We watch and observe members of the church and we see their behavior and their lifestyle and we make a decision, brother. Chairman comes to the pastor. Pastor, I think brother so-and-so need to be put on trial for deacon. And we make that decision through the board and the congregation and that's what happens. Same thing in the business world. They see your behavior and they say, oh, I think we can use him somewhere else. And they advance you in the position that will give you more income and give you authority over people as long as you don't get the big head and they have to run you out. Number seven, let's look at verse number seven. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, those in the world. What does the world say about your walk? What does it say about your spiritual living, your righteous living? Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He says, walk worthy. Be a strong spiritual leader. No matter what your office is, do it with pride. Do it with, with, with the ability to say, I want to do this to what? Honor God. Not just to be doing it. I want to give God my very best. I want to do what I need to do to be the best at what I'm doing. I want to read and study and prepare. I don't come in here and throw something together in 15 minutes and tell, her, tell you it's a sermon. Tell you it's a message from God. And I haven't been with God, prayed with God, studied with God all week. And I come in here and write it out in 15 minutes before service. That's not fair. That's not right to the congregation. God says prepare. Live it. That way it's easier for you to talk about it and teach it. People don't talk about it and teach things that they do. They won't do it because they're doing it. Until God delivers them, then, they, then they'll go and talk about it. But until then, they're not going to talk about it. That's why he ain't been in the book of Revelations before now. Let's go a little bit further. The word of God teaches us, look at verse number eight. He said, likewise must the deacons, let's talk about deacons here. The deacons have a very important office. He says, likewise, deacons must be grave, not double-tongued, you know, talk too much. Not given too much wine, greedy of filthy lures, saying some of the same principles. Holding the mystery, what is the mystery? The hidden secrets of the belief of the word of God with a pure conscience is what he says. And let these also first be proved. In other words, you've got to be trained to be a deacon. You just can't walk up in the office and sit there and take you go take, over, take control and take over. You haven't been there long enough. You're a babe. You're a new convert. You've got to be trained. The word of God teaches these things. And if pastors don't read and study the word of God, they do foolish things. That's not in line and in order with God's word. You can't put a baby in a position. How would you feel if somebody go and take your grandbaby and tell her you want them to go in the kitchen and cook dinner? How would you, you think you, you think you'd like that pretty good? Somebody say, take, take your grandbaby, go in there and let them cook for us, cook dinner for us. Or go out there and let them start the car and go to the store and buy some groceries and bring them back to us. That's how people do in the church. They just throw somebody in a position. They're not qualified, they're not trained, they're not ready. But the church throw them in a position because they're a good giver. So what? You still got to be trained. You don't elevate people because they give. You elevate people because you see the quality of God in their life that they are ready to move forward in leadership. Then you elevate them through training and teaching and practice 
And then once they prove they're able to do it, they do it. Before I went into the ministry, my pastor, St. John Baptist Church Reverend Eugene Burgess in Lake City, South Carolina, he put me through a certain training. And when I would go there, I had to do certain things. I had to teach Sunday school. I had to share and play for the church and do other things in the ministry. And then whenever I went before the, the counseling board, the ordination council, there were questions that I had to be able to answer in accordance with what the beliefs of Baptist doctrine is. If you don't know the answers, you can't be ordained as a Baptist preacher. So they're training and things. And then when I finished that, I had to go to seminary. Not that I needed the cemetery, I mean seminary, but God wants you to be fully trained. Yes, so whenever yes. you step out, you know what you're talking about. Thank you know, the word of God tells us deacons must go through this same process. You, you have the chairman of your board and they, their job is to make sure that you're properly trained. You hold meetings. Every office in the church, every auxiliary should hold meetings. If you got more than one member, you need to be holding meetings. You need to be sure everybody's on one accord within your organization board, nurses board, whatever your position is. Whenever God begins to pull, fill the church up, and I believe the church is going to be filled up again. I think it's going to come back. COVID ain't going to last forever. You just trust God and believe that he's going to keep you well enough so that you will be able to overcome it. If you get sick and pray that he will give you strength and heal your body. A lot of people running around here scared to death because they don't have no faith in God. We all can get it. Anytime, at any moment. We don't know who walking around with it. The reality is we trust God to keep us well. If we get sick, Father, heal me of this COVID or whatever it is, whatever sickness may come upon your body. COVID ain't the worst thing. Syphilis is worse. There are other diseases that was much worse. Remember polio? It killed millions They would strike small children and take them out. So, so this is not the worst we've seen. Other plagues have done a whole lot worse than this. Let's go a little bit further with this teaching. I wasn't trying to go that way, but it went that way for whatever reason. It says, um, likewise, the deacon must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of pretty lure, holding the mystery of the word of God with a pure conscience, and let these be first proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. See, they need to walk holy and pure too. God said what? Be ye holy for I am what? Holy. Be righteous, be holy, be pure. The temple is the house of God, so he can't dwell. The Holy Spirit ain't gonna dwell in an unclean temple. No, he said live holy. Let's go a little bit further. He goes on, he tells us, he says, holding the mystery of the gospel in a pure conscience, and let these first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon and be found blameless. Even so must the wife be grave, and not a slanderer, but sober, faithful in all things. And sometimes you have busybodies running around in the church, and they be married to people, officers in the church. God says, keep, the, keep that pure. That's why Paul went to Corinthians, to Corinth, and he told those women, sit down and be quiet. Because they were keeping stuff stirred up in the church. He said, sit there, be quiet. If you want to know something, ask your husband at home. That's what he told them. Go, go home, ask your husband. Be quiet. Don't stir up confusion. Don't keep stuff going. Do what is righteous, what is holy. Leaders should be about action 
and doing those things that bring glory to God. Jack Welch said it this way, before you are a leader, success must be about your own development or your own self, your own self-growth. It says when you become a leader, success is about growing others, quote unquote, those around you. The deacon is a diakonos is the Greek word there. He is a servant. He is a minister. This word is recorded 29 times in the New Testament. It delegates and appoints a member of the local congregation ordained to assist in the serving and the order of the administration uh, and materials of the body of Christ. In Acts, the sixth chapter, we find in the first seven verses the story about this. The, 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 the men of God, the apostles were so busy with work, with spiritual work in the church. They were so busy doing things in the church and helping with the spiritual side of things that the widows, some of the widows in the city was going unlikened. They didn't have food and they didn't have alarms and the things that they needed. And the apostles realized that there were people that was going without because they were so busy with spiritual things. And they made a decision and they chose seven men among them full of the Holy Spirit set apart trained them, and told them to take over the administrative part of the church and run that part of it so they can continue to focus on spiritual things. That's how that came about. It was orchestrated through the church. So he says, choose people full of the Holy Ghost who have a clean life, a good life, living like they should be living. Get them trained and put them in a position of leadership. Look at uh, uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, then we can appoint those men over the business and we, the apostles, will continue to devote ourselves to prayer, ministry, and doing the work and the word of God. See, the word of God says, do what is right. But he tells us how to set positions in the church how to use the positions in the church to develop the growth of the church. And if we don't know this, we'll do anything. It's, oh, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And God says, okay, I've had enough of you. I've had enough of that. I've had enough of this, you know. And then he, he started making, he started doing his own thing. God is what a minute. He is the orator. He is omnipotent, meaning he's all-knowing. He's omniscient meaning he's all-seeing, and he's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time. So we serve an omnipotent, a God who rules with authority. Satan don't have no authority. Satan just run around and busybody, do whatever the Lord give him, give him permission to do. If he need him somewhere to straighten somebody out or to carry out his what? Wrath, that's, that's the work of Satan. God gives Satan the job of taking out his wrath he just sent him on an assignment and go somewhere and destroy things. Because you will, no matter how you live your life, eventually it's going to come to judgment. Yeah. Righteous or otherwise. Amen. On the earth or at death. Every one of us is going to go through judgment. And it's better to go through righteous judgment than to go through the judgments that are not of God. And are not the things that God requires and asks of us to do. Yeah. Let's close this out. He says in verse number 11 or number 12, let the deacons be men of one wife ruling their own children and all well within their own house. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree 
and great boldness in the belief in which Christ our Lord, our Savior, has called them to. So lead us. Be worthy of your vocation. Do everything you can, whatever your office is. Learn everything about your office. Study, you know, you, you have to put in your own time sometimes. You have to study on your on your side on the side and learn things and develop and he says self-growth, self-development is a part of what he's talking about here. Even Christ, when he was our Messiah, the Savior of the world, he did his own training. But he came from where? The Father, who instilled in him everything that he needed. And he was sitting in the church at 12 in the temple teaching grown people at 12 years of age. He was a teacher. He was an instructor, one who ruled and one who spoke with authority. And everybody said, where did this man get this authority? How does he get this power? Where does it come from? But God was empowering him and infusing him with power to go forth and be the Savior, the Messiah. He grew up in his position. He started at 12, but he didn't even get to his ministry until he was, what, 30 years of age? And he ministered strongly for three years, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils and demons and doing those things that God required. See, he was appointed, chosen and appointed by the Father to come to this earth to show us the way of salvation. That's what he came for. And once he had done that, his work was finished on earth, guess what happened? It was time. He went to the cross to pay for our sins, to redeem us from the state of sin and from all of our transgressions and all the things that we do. Oh, just imagine Thousands of years ago, Christ knew you would be sitting here this morning. So what did he do? He prepared your heart so you would be here. He prepared your mind so you would be here. He prepared you for this exact message because this small group of people will eventually be a large group of people. And God wants us to be ready so when that manifests, when that happens, training has to be done took place. We can't be being trained when people start coming in. When God starts manifesting and letting the doors open and letting people come to fellowship and worship, we don't need to be being trained. It's too late then. He needs to have us ready in position so when he manifests his glory and his power and send the world, because they're coming, they're going to turn to the church before this is all over. Because they're going to need the church. They'll need the church before they need the government. That day is coming and it's right around the corner as my sister's mom can say. It's right around the corner that they're going to need the church of God with some of the stuff that's going on in the world. They're going to turn to the church. They're saying not going to be no one little preacher up there praying every, every, every time they have a meeting in Congress or in the Senate. It's going to be the church. It's not going to be those political leaders. God's going to send people, ordained people, fill of the Holy Spirit and anointed with power to go forth and bring lost souls back into the fold. That's the job of the shepherd. He said, go ye into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he said, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That was the instructions he gave the apostles. And he said, lo, I'll be with you even until the end of the age. He said, don't worry. I'm with you. I got this. What you worried about? What you concerned about? I got you. I'm with you. If God be for you, who in the world can be against you? Paul said what? We are more than conquerors. No matter what do, through whatever you go through, trial, tribulation, 
persecution, suffering, death, doesn't matter. He said, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And all we have to do is step out in faith and know that he is going to deliver us. Know that he's going to be with us. He's going to carry us through whatever we face or have to go through. You have victory. He said, be effective, qualified, spiritual leaders, bringing forth the things of God and showing those that are outside the body of Christ the way unto salvation. And when we're doing that and doing the work and the will of God, don't worry about numbers. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep learning, keep receiving, keep getting. And eventually God's going to say, Pow! there ain't going to be enough room to hold but God's got to get us in place and get us where we need to be in order for that to happen. May God bless you. May heaven smile upon you. Let us all stand for a word of prayer. Father, we bless you this morning for this message. We thank you for your love, your grace. We thank you, Lord God, that we are becoming qualified leaders to do the work, the will, and the purpose that, for which you have created and made us. We ask you now to touch every member of this congregation. Touch their minds, their hearts, and their bodies. Move by your spirit upon them and let the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be accepted in your sight. We pray now that this message will accomplish the purpose for which thou hast sent it and do that which thou please. We glorify you, we magnify you, cover and protect us and keep us. We ask it in your holy, righteous, and divine name in the name of Christ Yeshua, our Savior. We pray and ask it. And all of God's people say, Amen. God bless you this morning. Our message this morning coming from the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 3 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. From the theme, qualified by God to be a spiritual leader. Qualified by God to be a spiritual leader. In the third chapter, Paul writes to Timothy and give him instructions for qualifications. You can also find this in the book of Titus. But he gives him instructions and what he needs to know and what needs to happen to qualify people in the church for spiritual leadership. Verse 1 says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of an elder... He desires a good work, and the other then must be blameless, the man of one wife, diligent, sober, and of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine nor striker, not greedy of filthy lure, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the called out assembly or the house of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into a reproach and snares of the devil. Likewise must the deacons, be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of fifty lure, holding the mystery of the belief in a pure conscience. And let these first be proved, 
then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. He said, let even so must uh, they have one wife, not a slanderer, sober, and faithful in all things. And let the deacons be the men of one wife, ruling their own children and their own house well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the belief which is in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. We bless you this morning, our Father, Elohim, for this hour, for this morning, for this message. We pray now that you just minister to our hearts. We invite you through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom. Give us knowledge. Bring back to our heart and our mind those things that will build your kingdom of righteousness. Help us as leaders to walk according unto your will and your way and your word. And use it for the glory of God. Go out and tell other men and women, boys and girls that you are Lord to the glory of God. And that we must follow in your footsteps for eternal promise of salvation. These blessings we ask now to decree and declare by faith. In your most holy name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. A leader is one who influences and serves others out of the interests in their lives so that they may accomplish God's purpose for being on this planet. Christ himself called 12 men apostles. He trained and ordained them, qualified them, and sent them forth to carry the gospel into the world. There are certain principles that qualify a leader, a person seeking to be a leader. The number one qualification is love. The love of God must fill their heart and be released from their heart to others who they serve. A leader is one who serves. Number two, uh, they must be modest or humble. They can't be boastful, proud, or arrogant. But they must have a humble heart, a humble spirit, in order to be an effective spiritual leader. They must have self-development. Self-development includes developing yourself and building yourself and being trained by those already in leadership so that when you step out, you're already ready to go forth in the calling on which God has placed upon your life to lead and govern over his people. You see, Christ models leadership himself even in the sorrow, the pain, and the suffering that he endured when he had to go to the cross, even in death. He exercised self-control over himself and self-development because he made it a thing that he was not going to say one thing, but he was going to be quiet. The Bible said he never said a mumbling word when he went to the cross. A leader must be a motivator, one who motivates the people of God, encourage and inspire them to go forth and know that all is well and everything is going to be all right. No matter what it looks like, no matter how it appears, keep the faith and ask God to give you that perfect peace that passes all understanding within your heart and within your spirit. Nehemiah tells us in the second chapter, in the 17th verse, he says, a leader is a fearless motivator uh, of the people. 
He helps to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When the walls were torn down, Nehemiah reminded people that it's easy and it can be done. He outlined a vision. He shared a plan and he reassured the people of God that this will happen. He encouraged them to keep their faith and trust in him and Jerusalem and the walls were indeed rebuilt. A leader, one that, that, that is open to correction. And he's one that makes corrections to the people of God. One who corrects in the right way, not in any way, but in the right way according to the will and the purpose of God. Uh, it is important that leaders grow in their development and in the power by the message and the word of God through the gospel and the scriptures of our Lord and Savior. They must be patient. They must have the spiritual correctness first for themselves and then for those around them and those who follow. Leaders are looked up to and highly respected. So they must have certain things in their lives that will bring them to the place of that respect by others. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 13, he said, But avoid foolish and arrogant disputes. He's talking to leaders knowing that they gender strife and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all able to teach patience in humility correcting those who are in opposition. He's a man that walks in a spirit of humility but he looks and offers correctness to those that are in need of it when the time is right. So the elders of the church, their job is basically to make corrections. When they see things out of order, it's their job to step up and make corrections. It's their job to step up and encourage right living and righteous living. That's what the word tells us. A leader, spiritual leader, must have integrity. Must be a man of sound integrity. He has, must have moral principles and be honest about what's going on. He must be a follower of God. And he must live a righteous life. That is what God requires. Integrity includes his mannerisms, his behavior, and his distinctive traits that allow him to go forth and shine. For God said, my glory will what? Shine and come forth through you. It's like a flower. You can see the beauty of the outside of the plant. You can see all of the yellows and whites and blues and greens and reds and you can see all of the beauty but all that is the glory of that plant after it it's budding it comes forth and then you can see the beauty and God is saying to leaders he must see the beauty in our lives so that others can see the beauty in our lives and then he allow that to manifest and flow and flourish so those around us will know who we are character he must be a person of character the character is the trait that, 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 that formates individuals, it formulates them. It shows their moral ethics and the quality of person that they really are. What type of character do we display when we're not in the house of God? I've been told of individuals who display one character in the sanctuary and in the church on Sunday and they're a totally different person outside of the church. But God says we must have character. True decorum, we must walk humbly and securely in our relationship with God and among our brothers and sisters. The word of God tells us. What qualifies 
a person to be a leader. John Maxwell said, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way, quote, unquote. Scripture tells us and shares with us that their qualifications must be followed. These qualifications must be adhered to and put into practice. Leadership is not about a position, but it is about action and doing what God has told and called and chosen our lives for. We are created with a purpose. And so since we are created with a purpose, we must know that purpose. So God sent others before us that have already walked similar paths. And they know how to encourage, inspire, uplift, teach, and train us so that we too will walk in the bent that we have been created and molded and purposed to carry out. Is what his word teaches us and tells us. Let's start here with the bishop. Oh, so you got to start with his start. Charity starts at home and spreads abroad. <laughs> the Bible tells us and shares with us, he says, the bishop, you desire a good work. Ministry is a good work. Don't ever forget that. If you desire the office of a bishop or an elder, and a bishop is an overseer. That's the, the Greek word. It means to oversee, oversight over the church of God or over the churches of God. I have eight ministers that are licensed and ordained, and seven of them, seven of them have their own churches. So the bishop's job is sometimes to go out and see what's going on in the fellowship. That's what Paul did. He established churches, and then he went out and he visited those churches. But, but what are the qualifications? Because I heard somebody say one time, well, you need to be married. Well, I say, well, that's going to disqualify Jesus right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Paul. Neither of which. When Paul lost his first wife, he never remarried. Christ never married. So when people come to me with that, I'll say, well, go show me Christ's wife and come back and let's talk about it. Nobody ain't been back yet. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason is because you can live a righteous life without getting into a lot of trouble. You have to have the Holy Spirit to guide you and to keep you and to protect you and watch over you and keep you out of the snares and the traps of the devil. But you can live a righteous and holy life. None of us are perfect. He says a righteous man, what did David say, falls seven times, but he what? Get back up. He don't lay in the mud. Let's look at the office here. He said the bishop must be blameless. A man of one wife, if he chooses to marry, he should have one wife. This is the scripture. Amen. Verse number two. He must be vigilant. What is vigilance? It is he has to have and show care for the work of ministry. He must be sober and of good behavior. What is sober? It's not being sober from drinking liquor. But he must have common sense and know how to care about the things of God and for the people of God. That's what he talks about when he says be sober. Amen. And he says of good behavior, don't be raging and keeping stuff up. You know, walk in your calling and do the things that God has ordained and orchestrated you to do. He goes on and he says, not only that, he says he is a teacher of the principles of God He's not given to wine. In other words, he don't overindulge. He's not a striker, a violent person. You can't be violent and say, I'm a child of God. You can't be holy one day and then going off and calling people names and 
talking them down the next day and being violent and coming up against the people of God who God has orchestrated you. The pastor is a shepherd. The bishop is an overseer. The elder's job is to make sure that you're taught and trained in ministry. That's the calling of the offices. The Bible tells us in Chesler, I'm glad the Holy Spirit reminded me of those because I looked at them recently and I couldn't remember them. <laughs> but, but God will bring back to our remembrance those things that we have studied. The word of God tells us in Chesler, he says, he is not greedy of filthy lords. It's not about money with him. It's about serving the people of God and seeing to the things of God and making sure that the house of God and the kingdom of God is in good hands. You got wolves running in God's house trying to overshadow and overpower congregations and take over the church. And God says, I didn't send wolves, I sent shepherds to watch over my sheep and to make sure that they're being fed and taken care of. Let's go a little bit further with this. He says, uh, he is one of patience, not a brawler. A brawler is somebody who always want to fight and keep stuff stirred up. He's not covetous, always wanting what other people have. And it says, and he's one that rules his own house well and have his own children in subjection with all gravity. That means that they are very serious about their family. They are very serious about the behavior of their children and the house of God. That's what gravity is all about. Be serious. Don't be running around acting like a child. What did the, the scripture say this morning? When I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I what? Put away childish things. God says leaders are not childish. It's good to have fun and enjoy yourself. But also remember, you have to be serious when the time is right. Uh, the scripture said what? There's a time for everything. And even a time to be serious about the matters and the business of God and his church. Scripture goes on and tells us this person is one who knows exactly what he needs to be doing. He's one who knows how to carry out the office of God. The, the, the ESV translation says he's not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He should be patient, not a brawler, not covetous, rule his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity or control. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? If you can't do what you need to do and take care of yourself and your business, how are you going to take care of God's business? God didn't call ministers. He said the minister, the preacher, the pastor, the bishop, the overseer, and their families ought to be good examples of what the body of Christ and the fellowship of God should look like. They are followers of the gospel and they serve the same Savior that they teach and preach about. Christ himself said in John 15 and 16, now I think I mentioned this last Sunday, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So you're not without doubt, without, with the thing, without the things that you need. God says, ask me and I'll give it to you. So that's why you should be about the business of the kingdom, the business of the work of God. Pastors, teachers, elders, overseers, we must be about God's business. 
People are hurting, they're suffering, they're going through. And we're busy with football and all other kind of crazy things that don't have anything to do with the hurting hearts and minds of people who are suffering and going through things that they need relief and deliverance from. Look at uh, the rest of that verse. Verse number six says, he's not a novice, a new convert. That's what a novice is. You can't put a new convert in a position of authority when he's not been properly trained to do it. A deacon, a pastor, no leader. He has to be trained. You have to go through what you go through the training so that when you get to the position, you've already gone through the levels of steps needed to be there. I started in the church at the back door ushering, sang on the choir, went into Sunday school class, then taught the Sunday school class, then became uh, the superintendent of the youth Sunday school department, then went to playing the organ and played with the choirs, and after I did that, I went into ministry. So you got to work your way up through the ranks, and you've got to be properly trained, went to seminary, sat under the pastor for several years. Learn the word of God, apply the word of God, live the word of God, and then go out and what? Preach it and teach it. That's what he's saying. You can't be a new convert talking about God called you to be a bishop. That's a lie. Or a pastor. You don't even have any training. You don't even know what the office is all about. But he says, you can't be a novice, a, a, a convert, a new convert, unless you be lifted up with pride and fall into condemnation of the devil because pride will take you over if you're not ready when you go into positions of leadership. That's why whenever you get that promotion on the job, you, people look up to you, but you still got to be humble. You still got to keep decorum. Don't get the big head or become arrogant. You've got to be a person of humility and walk in your calling. He said, well, he said walk worthy of the vocation where with you are called. If somebody advances you in the workplace, then you need to walk worthy because they have seen something inside of you that have allowed them to say, look, I have a better position and I think you qualify for it. If you don't qualify for it, you have the character that we need in that position. We're going to send you and be, let you be trained. See, that's how companies work. That's how they do in the church. We watch and observe members of the church and we see their behavior and their lifestyle and we make a decision, brother. Chairman comes to the pastor. Pastor, I think brother so-and-so need to be put on trial for deacon. And we make that decision through the board and the congregation, and that's what happens. Same thing in the businessman world. They see you behaving, they say, oh, I think we can use him somewhere else. And they advance you in the position that will give you more income and give you authority over people. As long as you don't get the big head and they have to run you out. Number seven, let's look at verse number seven. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, those in the world. What does the world say about your walk? What does it say about your spiritual living, your righteous living? Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He says, walk worthy. Be a strong spiritual leader. No matter what your office is, do it with pride. Do it with, with, with the ability to say, I want to do this to what? Honor God. Not just to be doing it. I want to give God my very best. I want to do what I need to do to be the best at what I'm doing. I want to read and study and prepare. I don't come in here and throw something together in 15 minutes and tell, tell you it's a sermon. Tell you it's a message from God. And I haven't been with God, prayed with God, studied with God all week. And I come in here and write it out in 15 minutes before service. That's not fair. That's not right to the congregation. 
God says prepare, live it. That way it's easier for you to talk about it and teach it. People don't talk about it and teach things that they do. They won't do it because they're doing it. Until God delivers them, then, they, then they'll go and talk about it. But until then, they're not going to talk about it. That's why he ain't been in the book of Revelations before now. Let's go a little bit further. The word of God teaches us, look at verse number eight. He said, likewise must the deacons, let's talk about deacons here. The deacons have a very important office. He says, likewise, deacons must be grave, not double-tongued, you know, talk too much. Not given to much wine, greedy of filthy lures, saying some of the same principles. Holding the mystery. What is the mystery? The hidden secrets of the belief of the word of God with a pure conscience is what he says. And let these also first be proved. In other words, you've got to be trained to be a deacon. You just can't walk up in the office and sit there and take you go take, over, take control and take over. You haven't been there long enough. You're a babe. You're a new convert. You've got to be trained. The word of God teaches these things. And if pastors don't read and study the word of God, they do foolish things. That's not in line and in order with God's word. You can't put a baby in a position. How would you feel if somebody go and take your grandbaby and tell her you want them to go in the kitchen and cook dinner? How would you? You think, you, you think you'd like that pretty good? Somebody say, take, my, take your grandbaby, go in there and let them cook, for us, cook dinner for us. Or go out there and let them start the car and go to the store and buy some groceries and bring them back to us. That's how people do in the church. They just throw somebody in a position. They're not qualified. They're not trained. They're not ready. But the church throw them in a position because they're a good giver. So what? You still got to be trained. You don't elevate people because they give. You elevate people because you see the quality of God in their life that they are ready to move forward in leadership. Then you elevate them through training and teaching and practice, and then once they prove they're able to do it, they do it. Before I went into the ministry, my pastor, St. John Baptist Church Reverend Eugene Burgess in Lake City, South Carolina, he put me through a certain training. And when I would go there, I had to do certain things. I had to teach Sunday school. I had to share and play for the church and do other things in the ministry. And then whenever I went before the, the counseling board, the ordination council, there were questions that I had to be able to answer in accordance with what the beliefs of Baptist doctrine is. If you don't know the answers, you can't be ordained as a Baptist preacher. So they're training and things. And then when I finished that, I had to go to seminary. Not that I needed the cemetery, I mean seminary, but God wants you to be fully trained. So whenever you step out, you know what you're talking about. You know, the word of God tells us deacons must go through this same process. You, you have the chairman of your board and they, their job is to make sure that you're properly trained. You hold meetings. Every office in the church, every auxiliary should hold meetings. If you got more than one member, you need to be holding meetings. You need to be sure everybody's on one accord within your organization board, nurses board, whatever your position is. Whenever God begin to pull, fill the church up and I believe the church is going to be filled up again. I think it's going to come back. COVID ain't going to last forever. You just trust God and believe that he's going to keep you well enough so that you will be able to overcome it. If you get sick and pray that he will give you strength and heal your body. A lot of people running around here scared to death because they don't have no faith in God. We all can get it anytime, 
at any moment. We don't know who's walking around with it. The reality is we trust God to keep us well. If we get sick, Father, heal me of this COVID or whatever it is, whatever sickness may come upon your body. COVID ain't the worst thing. Syphilis is worse. There are other diseases that was much worse. Remember polio? It killed millions. It would strike small children and take them out. So, so this is not the worst we've seen. Other plagues have done a whole lot worse than this. Let's go a little bit further with this teaching. I wasn't trying to go that way, but it went that way for whatever reason. It says, um, likewise, the deacon must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of pretty lure, holding the mystery of the word of God with a pure conscience, and let these be first proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. See, they need to walk holy and pure too. God said what? Be ye holy for I am what? Holy. Be righteous. Be holy. Be pure. The temple is the house of God, so he can't dwell. The Holy Spirit ain't going to dwell in an unclean temple. No, he said, live holy. Let's go a little bit further. He goes on, he tells us, he says, holding the mystery of the gospel in a pure conscience, and let these first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon and be found blameless. Even so must the wife be grave, and not a slanderer, but sober, faithful in all things. And sometimes you have busybodies running around in the church and they be married to people, officers in the church. God says, keep, the, keep that pure. That's why Paul went to Corinthians, to Corinth, and he told those women, sit down and be quiet. Because they were keeping stuff stirred up in the church. He said, sit there, be quiet. If you want to know something, ask your husband at home. That's what he told them. Go, go home, ask your husband. Be quiet. Don't stir up confusion. Don't keep stuff going. Do what is righteous, what is holy. Leaders should be about action. And doing those things that bring glory to God. Jack Welch said it this way. Before you are a leader, success must be about your own development or your own self, your own self-growth. It says when you become a leader, success is about growing others, quote unquote. Those around you. The deacon is a diakonos is the Greek word there. He is a servant. He is a minister. This word is recorded 29 times in the New Testament. It delegates and appoints a member of the local congregation ordained to assist in the serving and the order of the administration uh, and materials of the body of Christ. In Acts, the sixth chapter, we find in the first seven verses the story about this. The, 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 the men of God, the apostles were so busy with work, with spiritual work in the church. They were so busy doing things in the church and helping with the spiritual side of things that the widows, some of the widows in the city was going unlikened. They didn't have food and they didn't have alarms and the things that they needed. And the apostles realized that there were people that was going without because they were so busy with spiritual things. And they made a decision and they chose seven men among them full of the Holy Spirit set apart trained them, and told them to take over the administrative part of the church and run that part of it so they can continue to focus on spiritual things. That's how that came about. It was orchestrated through the church. So he says, choose people full of the Holy Ghost 
who have a clean life, a good life, living like they should be living, get them trained and put them in a position of leadership. Look at uh, uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Then we can appoint those men over the business and we, the apostles, will continue to devote ourselves to prayer, ministry, and doing the work and the word of God. See, the word of God says, do what is right. But he tells us how to set positions in the church, how to use the positions in the church to develop the growth of the church. And if we don't know this, we'll do anything. It's, oh, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And God says, okay, I've had enough of you. I've had enough of that. I've had enough of this, you know. And then he, he started making, he started doing his own thing. God is what a minute. He is the orator. He is omnipotent, meaning he's all-knowing. He's omniscient, meaning he's all-seeing. And he's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time. So we serve an omnipotent, a God who rules with authority. Satan don't have no authority. Satan just run around and busybody do whatever the Lord give him, give him permission to do. If he need him somewhere to straighten somebody out or to carry out his what? Wrath. That's, that's the work of Satan. God gives Satan the job of taking out his wrath. He just sent him on an assignment and go somewhere and destroy things. Because you will, no matter how you live your life, eventually it's going to come to judgment. Righteous or otherwise. On the earth or at death. Every one of us is going to go through judgment. And it's better to go through righteous judgment than to go through the judgments that are not of God and are not the things that God requires and asks of us to do. Let's close this out. He says in verse number 11, or number 12, let the deacons be men of one wife ruling their own children and all well within their own house. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the belief in which Christ our Lord, our Savior, has called them to. So leaders, be worthy of your vocation. Do everything you can, whatever your office is. Learn everything about your office. Study, you know, you, you have to put in your own time sometimes. You have to study on, your, on, your si on the side and learn things and develop. And he says self-growth. Self-development is a part of what he's talking about here. Even Christ, when he was our Messiah, the Savior of the world, he did his own training. But he came from where? The Father, who instilled in him everything that he needed. And he was sitting in the church at 12, in the temple, teaching grown people at 12 years of age. He was a teacher. He was an instructor, one who ruled and one who spoke with authority, and everybody said, where did this man get this authority? How does he get this power? Where does it come from? But God was empowering him and infusing him with power to go forth and be the Savior, the Messiah. He grew up in his position. He started at 12, but he didn't even get to his ministry until he was, what, 30 years of age? And he ministered strongly for three years, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils and demons, and doing those things that God required. See, he was appointed, chosen and appointed by the Father to come to this earth to show us the way of salvation. That's what he came for. And once he had done that, his work was finished here on earth, guess what happened? It was time. 
He went to the cross to pay for our sins, to redeem us from the state of sin and from all of our transgressions and all the things that we do. Oh, just imagine, thousands of years ago, Christ knew you would be sitting here this morning. So what did he do? He prepared your heart so you would be here. He prepared your mind so you would be here. He prepared you for this exact message because this small group of people will eventually be a large group of people. And God wants us to be ready so when that manifests, when that happens, training has to be done took place. We can't be being trained when people start coming in. When God starts manifesting and letting the doors open and letting people come to fellowship and worship, we don't need to be being trained. It's too late then. He needs to have us ready in position so when he manifests his glory and his power and send the world, because they're coming, they're going to turn to the church before this is all over. Because they're going to need the church. They'll need the church before they need the government. That day is coming and it's right around the corner. My sister's mom can say, it's right around the corner that they're going to need the church of God with some of the stuff that's going on in the world. They're going to turn to the church. And it's not going to be no one little preacher up there praying every, every, every time they have a meeting in Congress or in the Senate. It's going to be the church. It's not going to be those political leaders. God's going to send people, ordained people, fill of the Holy Spirit and anointed with power to go forth and bring lost souls back into the fold. That's the job of the shepherd. He said, go ye into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he said, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That was the instructions he gave the apostles. And he said, lo, I'll be with you even until the end of the age. He said, don't worry. I'm with you. I got this. What you worried about? What you concerned about? I got you. I'm with you. If God be for you, who in the world can be against you? Paul said what? We are more than conquerors. No matter what do, through whatever you go through, trial, tribulation, persecution, suffering, death, doesn't matter. He said we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And all we have to do is step out in faith and know that he is going to deliver us. Know that he's going to be with us. He's going to carry us through whatever we face or have to go through. You have victory. He said, be effective, qualified, spiritual leaders, bringing forth the things of God and showing those that are outside the body of Christ the way unto salvation. And when we're doing that and doing the work and the will of God, don't worry about numbers. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep learning, keep receiving, keep getting and eventually God's going to say, there ain't going to be enough room to hold. Yes. But God's got to get us in place and get us where we need to be in order for that to happen. May God bless you. May heaven smile upon you. Let us all stand for a word of prayer. Father, we bless you this morning for this message. We thank you for your love, your grace. We thank you, Lord God, that we are becoming qualified leaders to do the work, the will, and the purpose now for which you have created and made us. We ask you now to touch every member of this congregation. Touch their minds, their hearts, and their bodies. Move by your spirit upon them and let the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, be accepted in your sight. We pray now that this message will accomplish the purpose for which thou hast sent it and do that which thou please. We glorify you, we magnify you, cover and protect us and keep us. We ask it in your holy, righteous, and divine name in the name of Christ Yeshua, our Savior. We pray and ask it. And all of God's people say, Amen. God bless you this morning.